0: Thanks for listening to this sermon from the Image Church. Find out more about us and our weekly services at imagejesus.com. All right, so that being said, um, we are going to get into... um, Jonah again now, and we've gone a couple weeks into the, into the letter, the story of Jonah, and um, another friend of mine who's been around about as long as Manny, at least in the life of this church, is my friend Cameron Triggs. Uh, so Cameron, why don't you go ahead and join us up on stage, and I'll tell, tell you guys about Cameron. Welcome him up here. Uh, Cameron and I met about a year and a half ago, and we met um, here while I moved back to Jacksonville after I got back from Seattle. And Cameron is, is one of those guys that, you're going to hear it in just a second, loves Jesus, is passionate about Jesus, but is also passionate about the truth of God and God's word and making sure we get it and connect it into our life. And um, Cameron was actually here when we were planting. When we were like ten people in this room, Cameron um, and, and Tamara were here in this room helping us get started and god um, opened up an amazing opportunity for him at shiloh where he got to go down the street and he serves as the youth pastor down at shiloh or young adults pastor and he's just killing it down there and helping people get jesus and the gospel and um, their life and get it on the level that they can really apply it in high school and middle school and so um, he's just a weapon like you're about to find out this dude can preach about jesus he's going to serve us really well i think but Um, What I hope you see here is why we have an amazing church down the street street called Shiloh it has been around in the city longer than most of us, well, probably much all of us have been alive. Um, What we want to see in Jacksonville is a bunch of people across church, racial, socioeconomic lines coming together for the gospel, to preach about Jesus, to see more people know Jesus. And Shiloh is amazing. If you don't know about H.P. Charles down there, um, Cameron, senior pastor, that guy, I think, is the best preacher in Jacksonville, as far as I'm concerned. I'll sit. I'll, sometimes I'll sneak over there before church starts here and hear this guy preach because he's just legit. And so, if you ever get tired of us, that's a great place to go. Um, and. And they're awesome, and I believe that they love Jesus and they get the gospel immensely. Um, And they've been connecting it to people's lives for decades here. And so we're we're stoked to partner with another church for them to loan us Cameron today to give me a break. Um, And so I just want to again ask you guys to welcome Cameron, and um, you can pass on our thanks to Shiloh.
1: Good morning. Good morning. All right, that's better. Um, I am a dialogical preacher, so that's a big word that means you got to talk back to me. So if I say holler, if you hear me, or if I say amen, just say amen. Uh, move out of your comfort zone. I need somebody. I need some support. I'm nervous, and I'm used to preaching to teenagers. So uh, help me out if you can. Thank you, Matt, for the invitation. I'm honored to be here and serve the Image Church. You guys are doing a wonderful work here. Um, first of all, you're serious about the gospel, and that is a blessing, Matt. Um, is like Jay. He uh, smokes, but he sells. Uh, So I've been listening. Uh, He's a gospel-centered guy, loves his wife, loves his kids, always repentant, always searching for sin, and always trusting in Jesus Christ as a savior. And uh, just give him a round of applause for being your pastor. I am not that great of a preacher, uh, like Matt would say, but I do have one thing that works for me, I have a beautiful wife, Tymara Triggs, my best friend. She is right here in the front row. Can you stand up so I look good to people? Woo! Say amen. 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 So we're going to jump into Jonah 3. Jonah 3, permit permit me, if you will, we're going to title this this lesson, this, this sermon, Grace for Losers. Grace for Losers. I'm reading from the text, uh, I'm reading from the ESV, and in the text is this. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against in the message that I will tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city. Three days' journey in breath. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out. Yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. Verse 6. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles... Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? Turn to your neighbor and say, who knows? Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger. So that we may not perish. Verse 10. When God saw what they did. How they turned from their evil way. God relented. God relented of the disaster that he had said and he would do to them. And he did not do it. Let's pray. Father, we are rocked. We are are truly shaken by the treasure and the truth that is found in this text. We ask that you would make it alive to us, that it's not some piece of ancient literature, but that it will speak to our hearts about the powerful grace that you have for losers. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray, amen. There was a conference going on over in uh, British, and it was comparative religions, and they were debating about all the different religions. And they want, got to the topic of Christianity, and they wanted to see if Christianity actually added anything unique to all the world religions. And they wanted to see what was your unique doctrine about Christianity. They got to the doctrine of incarnation, which is God coming in the flesh. And they said, no, that can't really be it because there's other World religions that have this God coming in the flesh, dwelling amongst men. They got to the doctrine of resurrection, which is about Jesus Christ rising from the dead. They said, no, it can't really be that because there's other stories within Egyptian history talking about God's rising from the dead. And so the debate continued. They continued to muster up tension amongst themselves. And all of a sudden, C.S. Lewis, the author and apologist, walks into the room and he says, what is all the rumpus about? And they said, we're trying to figure out. What unique doctrines Christianity has given to the world religions. And he says, well, that's easy. Of course, it's grace. Grace. Grace for losers. The notion of God's love coming down to losers free of charge. No strings attached. grace. Seems to go against every stream of human religion. Because religion says you got to do something in order for you to be accepted. Buddhists do it with the eightfold path. The Hindus have karma. The Jewish people had to keep God's covenant. Uh, Muslims have to keep the code of law. But it's interesting with Christianity, it's not what you do. It's about what's been done. And so with Christianity, it's not that you have to climb the ladder. It's actually Jesus Christ came down the ladder and says to us, it's been finished. Only Christianity dares to make love unconditional to those unworthy and disqualified. Ted Turner, the billionaire, caused some tension in the media because he was interviewed and he says, Christianity is a religion for losers. Mr. TNT later recanted of those words, but I I, I, I suppose to you that that is actually the truth, that Christianity is a religion for losers. Though we put on our masks, we want our religious requirements, we want the cute Twitter uh, updates, we want the Facebook status, we want them to double tap our John Piper Instagram quotes. But the truth is that it's really, we are losers who need God. And I think that's the point of this text. God's grace, unmerited favor is only grace when we realize we are spiritual losers and lose our religion and our morality at the door. Jonah 3 shows us the story of two losers, okay? It shows us the story of two losers that is written for losers in need of grace. Here's the two losers. The first one is Jonah, if you're taking notes. Jonah's an interesting character. He's the runaway racist, according to the image church. He's the reluctant, religious, nationalistic hero. He's... Racist. He's a runaway. He's an unfaithful fugitive. His only crime, on uh, uh, running away from God, that's his only crime. He disobeys God. He is religious in the same way he thinks he's better than the people God has called him to preach to. He thinks that the grace he needed has to stop with him. He says, those people, no way. I can't preach to those people because of what they've done. He is religious in the fact that he finds his identity and his accomplishments for God. You may have gone over in 2 Kings 14. Jonah gets a word from the Lord to build up a fence to help help defend Israel against other nations. And so uh, Jonah is built up. He's this uh, prophet from Galilee who defends the nation of Israel. And he finds his identity in being the colon power of Israel. He is the, the patriotic prophet. He is Tony Stark. He is Iron Man. He has pride and hubris, and he saves the nation, and he thinks he has some entitlement because of it. But he's rebellious. He, he tries to outrun God. He denies the living God. He, 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 God has killed people for less for what Jonah has did. And we downplay that like he ran away from God. He got swallowed by a great fish. No, no, no. He denied the living God. So he's religious and he's rebellious. A jacked up man indeed. But then there's Nineveh. The other loser in this text. Nineveh, the great city known for its systematic evil and sin. It's part of the Assyrian Empire who dominated the ancient world. Look. Is, look, Assyria and Nineveh was so bad that when you crossed over into its borders, Darth Vader's theme song started playing. <laughs> they literally impaled people on poles alive to make examples of them. They skinned people alive. They had no remorse. They would kill women and children in war. They killed children. They would smash them against rocks. They would burn women alive. And so Jonah doesn't want to preach to Nineveh for two reasons. Number one, it's in the title, he's a racist, he's a nationalist. This is his ethnic enemy. But the the, the one that we really miss in breaking down this text is fear. Okay? God calls him to a dangerous place. God calls him to somewhere more dangerous than Liberty and Confederate Street. Literally, what God calls him, he calls a prophet into a foreign land. It's like he's calling a Jew into the heart of Germany during World War II. It's like he's calling an African over to the American South during the 1700s and 1800s. And here's the thing. He fears man more than God. He's like Moses. Moses. Who's afraid to go to Pharaoh and preach, let my people go, because Pharaoh, of course, does have chariots. He's like Elijah, who's afraid to stand up against the wicked queen Jezebel, because of course, Jezebel got all the juice. She has all the power. So we see Jonah is really a type of another scare prophet. He fears man more than God. And so the scene is set up in an interesting way. You're reading this. There's no verse. There's no chapters. You're reading this just like a novel, just like a movie. And what's going on in your mind is, what should happen to these two losers? Right? What should happen? Because from a human perspective, there are no heroes. There is complete hopelessness aside from God. Jonah 1 and 2 is a depiction of despair. That's what 1 and 2 is about. And here's the thing, many of us, we try to read, use the Bible like binoculars. And be like, man, Kiki should have been here because she's just like Nineveh. (laughs) Man, Ronnie should have been here because he's just like Jonah. No, God calls him to do something. But here's here's the truth. God wants you to read this like a mirror. Okay? He wants you to see the Jonah-like tendencies in your heart. He wants you to see the Nineveh characteristics in your life. And so God wants you to identify with these losers, and I identified them. Well, like Jonah, in what ways are you running from God? In what ways are you running to serve God? In what ways are you running to minister? In what ways are you afraid to serve the poor, to shake a hand, to chill with black and white people? In what ways are you running from God? Who do you fear more than God? Maybe it's death itself. Maybe it's your boss. Okay, maybe it's your own securities. We all have other gods in our lives. And we say, I'd rather serve that God and I fear that God more than the God of the universe. In what ways are you letting God's grace stop with you? Okay, we look at Jonah. He's the runaway racist. And he was like, Jonah, man, like we're so past that. I mean, we got a black president. But the truth is we all do it. We all in some way let God's grace stop with us. Maybe it's in your marriage. Maybe you think that you are the spouse who gets it right. And if only my spouse would get it right here, then maybe everything would else work. Maybe it is with a friendship. They burned you. They did you wrong. And now you're counting the cost against them. Maybe it is with somebody at the church, a pastor, an elder. Maybe it's with an aunt, a cousin, or a relative. And the truth is, you're saying, I need God's grace, but they don't need it. Okay, so you're not. if you pass all of that and you're not relating to Jonah at all, go ahead and leave and start a church. Because Jesus will come back and go to your church. Because the truth is, we all fall in those ways. But the truth is, look, we're like Nineveh, too. You may say, I'm not, I mean, all the evil things Nineveh did, how could I even be like them? And, you know, Nineveh, here's the heart of their problem. They want to establish their conquest by any means necessary. We do that. We all have a conquest in our life that we are willing to achieve by any means necessary. Am I right about it? Okay, you're willing to lie to get the promotion. You're willing to compromise your character for five-minute pleasure. You're willing to cheat to get the degree. You're willing to neglect your household in order for you to be successful. By any means necessary for me to achieve this conquest, I'm going to be like Nineveh. You can't say amen. Say ouch. We are... Spiritual losers. That's what God wants us to see in this text. But I want you to see two scenes from this text. Two scenes of grace for losers. The one is the recommission of Jonah. The recommission of Jonah, verses 1 through 2. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Turn to your neighbor and say the second time. The second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against the message that I tell you. If you notice... It's a complete restatement of chapter 1. The only thing different is it came a second time, and this time, Jonah did not flee. He went and obeyed. George H. Morrison states it this way. The victorious Christian life is a series of new beginnings. Jonah got a second chance and a second lease on life. Jonah is given a second chance. Nothing Jonah did to earn it. In fact, he could not. And we can't take this for granted because God killed people for less in the Old Testament. God killed people for less in the New Testament. Don't believe me, Acts 5, Annas and Sapphira, I mean, they, they struck dead just for lying to the Holy Spirit. And yet, they can't take this for gra- granted. God gives him a second lease on life. Jonah violently and disrespected and disobeyed God, yet he kept his job. How many of us would have fired him from the church staff? How many of them would have given them the pig slip? No, you can't do God's work. But yet, God runs after him to the bottom of the ocean and says, I give you a second chance. God's grace restores losers. And how does he do it? How does God's grace restore losers? Here's the, here's the most powerful thing. He, restor- he gives us grace with no grudges. He gives us grace with no grudges. What, what do you mean by that, Pastor game? See, the story doesn't tell us Jonah confessed or he says he's sorry. God extends out his call and his mission. God doesn't remind Jonah of his past. God is not reluctant or hesitant. God doesn't say, I know you're going to screw it up again in chapter 4. He says, I give you a second chance. No grudges. There's no small print. There's no ifs, ands, or whats, or buts about it. God gave him grace with no grudges. And that's why many of us are sitting in our seats stuck in the Christian life. Because we believe this quote by Steve Brown. A lot of Christians never accomplish what God wants them to accomplish. Because they don't think they deserve God's good pleasure for their lives. You've been saved you've been baptized, you went to the communion table, you're in a community group, you go to the house parties, you go to the jam sessions. But deep down inside, I think God has a tally mark on me missing quiet time. No, deep down inside, I think God has a tally mark for what I've done for so many years. Deep down inside, I think God has a tiling mark, not for only the sins I've done, but the sins that have been done unto me. And here's the thing, we are so used to hearing, you owe me. Okay, you messed up, but just, we'll put a little interest on it and we'll be on good terms. We're so used to hearing, you let me down. We're so used to hearing, you've hurt me, and then the extra clause that follows all of these Immediate grudge-like comments is, I'm finished with you. I'm done. I hit ignore on your phone calls. I infringe you on Facebook. You're not part of the religious elite. You shouldn't be in leadership. Grudges count other sins against them, but God doesn't do that because that's completely opposite of what the gospel is. The, the, in 2 Corinthians 5.21, powerful scripture, write it down. It says, Jesus, who knew no sin, who knew no sin, took on our sin. That we might be counted the righteousness of God. So Jesus, the only one in human history who actually had the right... To tally mark all your wrongdoings, perfect man, perfect blood, did miracles, teaching in the temple at 12, healing people. I mean, this dude, this brother killed it in the moral game. He was perfect, obedient to the father. Jesus, the only one who can count up your sin marks. He says, I won't count your sins. I'll take them on me. He Not, not only does he not hold grudges, he takes every grudge that has been bestowed upon you. God counts your sins against Christ, not against us. He he recommissions us not based on what we do or don't do. He recommissions us based upon what Jesus Christ has already done. And let me tell you what he did. He said, it is finished on the cross. That's how he can recommission somebody. Look, it's not cheap to recommission somebody. That, that penalty actually has been paid. And Romans 5a isn't just for those who are unbelievers. It's for believers too. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. George MacDonald says this, the world can do almost anything as well or better than the church. Think about it. Church used to... Like, go through church history, we used to, like, yes, we have tall steeples until skyscrapers came out. Yes, we used to heal people until all kinds of surgeries and medications came out. Look, the world can do anything or better than the church. You need not be a Christian to build houses, feed the hungry, or heal the sick. There's only one thing the world cannot do. It cannot offer grace for losers. The world has no posture toward grace. Listen. If you ever give your heart to anything, if you ever trust in anybody, the truth is they will begin to tally up your sins no matter who it is. Husband, wife, parent, child. You will be judged according to your performance in some way. But not through the grace of God. That's what happens in Jonah 3. A poor prophet gets another chance. But not in God's economy. Look, God gives us a second chance. The same God that gives us a second chance also gives a last chance. He also gives a last chance. How do I get that, Pastor Cam? It's, it's, it's the repentance of Nineveh. Look at verse 3. Verse 3 says, So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city. Three days' journey and a breath. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. And he called out, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Okay, so picture this, the prophet goes into Las Vegas, he's seeing all the wickedness, takes him a long time, it's a great population, great in power, great in prestige, great in evil, and he's not scared, because the power of God will keep you. And he goes and preaches the word, verse 4. He, he says the prophecy, God is the God of another chance, but sometimes he is also the God of a last chance. 40 days. Nineveh, 40 days. Nineveh, 40 days. What's the significance with 40 days? It was always a sign of testing and judgment in the Old Testament. 40 days to cleans the earth. What, raining 40 days and 40 nights? That's who? Noah. Forty years, Israel wandered in the wilderness. For 40 days, the giant Goliath taunted the whole nation of Israel. Forty days was a sign of judgment. And here's the thing, Nineveh knew their last day. What about you? You're sitting here and you're not a Christian. You don't have this second chance after second chance after second chance unconditional love. You're living according to the law and the judgment of God is hanging above your head. And it's appointed once for a man to die. And Nineveh is in a better place than you. They knew. 40 days. The truth is this ceiling could could just smash us right now. And I'm not trying to scare you into salvation. I want to make it a reality that tomorrow is not promised. And that the time for you to repent and to trust in this freely given grace, you don't have to do a religious dance. Just have to trust in the man who was hung on the cross and rose from the dead with all power? Look, the time for you to repent is not represented by four numbers. It's by three letters. N-O-W. Now. Nineveh gets this memo. How do I know? It's in verse 5. On the first day. Nineveh didn't play. Like, you give us 40 days, but no, they heard that message. They seen this man who, who might have had gastric juices on him from a big fish. Looked like he'd been through some things. He's an Israelite. He's bold enough to come in here and know what we do to people who cross our boundary line. There's got to be something to this man. He's a sign on the first day. We don't need 40 days. They U-turned. They turned away from their evil and they turned to God. They fasted. They stopped eating. They put on sackcloth, which was a coarse type of robe that wasn't fit to wear. They were showing that we are grieving, and they reached God. And in verse 6, perhaps the biggest miracle happened. God converts the king as well. Okay, this is a man by who by all means had all the power. He, put, he would put uh, uh, Obama to shreds. Like he had money, he had power. He might have thought he was a god. And yet he says that they need to fast and pray, and not only me, but the whole nation. He doesn't argue over his sin. He owns his sin. And verse 7 through 9, he says, let's cover all the bases. Even the animals need to fast. Like, we don't need to miss anything. Let's make the animals, like, put up the, the pedigree and the dog food and the cat food. Like, hey, Toto, you got to fast, bro, because like this judgment's about to come. Here. Verse 9 it's an interesting question. He says, who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not peri- perish. And listen, here's what God does. He spares them. When God saw what they did, have they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said that he would do to them, and he did not do it. But let me ask you a question. Why did the king say, who knows? What did the king not know what type of God this was. Because he's teeter-tottering. Why? Because Jonah gives an eight-word sermon and it only contained judgment. So God gave Jonah a second time, but Jonah's heart was still turned evil towards Nineveh. He, He wanted them to die. He's still the patriotic prophet. He's still the racist runaway. He's still the reluctant revelator. All he preached was fire and 40 days. Fire and brimstone. There's no mention of grace for losers. He doesn't tell them the possibility of forgiveness. Because he didn't want them saved. He wants them to die. And we're like that too. He's okay with receiving grace just for those, just as long as that grace doesn't trickle down to those who sin against us. It's okay with getting mercy as long as the people we hate in public media don't get mercy. You could put a face to that name. We might be divided in this room. He says the mercy and the grace does not stop with me no matter who it is. And this is why I got to take you. I'm going to go black Baptist preacher on you. I'm going to close with Jesus is greater than Jonah. He is greater than Jonah. Why? Let's turn to Matthew 12. I'm going to hit you with a Jesus juke and then I'm going to get out your way. Matthew twelve, I'm starting with verse thirty eight. Give you time for your apps to load up. So here's the here's the context. Jesus, as always, is in the in the ring with religious snobs. They're having religious debates. And Jesus is going to hit them hard. Verse 38, he says, Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. Now, I can imagine up to this point, Jesus has done signs. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Jesus is about to give us commentary on the chapter we're reading. Greater than Jonah is here. Jesus is saying that I am greater than Jonah. Jonah hates his enemies. Jesus died for his enemies. Jonah disobeyed God. Jesus perfectly obeyed God. Jonah was resurrected from the sea. Jesus was resurrected from death. Jonah feared the sea. Jesus controlled the sea. Jonah was a sign of judgment. Jesus is a sign of grace. Jonah, 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 Jonah feared the evil of Nineveh. Jesus suffered the evil of the world. Jonah feared the foreign land. Jesus loved the foreign land of earth and even left the pleasures of heaven. One greater than Jonah. One greater than Jonah has come. Because of that, I'm going to push you. This is your, your challenge. Define yourself. Not by being merely a loser. Define yourself by God's grace. You can define yourself by your inevitable failure to live up to yours or someone else's standards, or you can define yourself in terms of God's love. Don't underestimate this unconditional love, this unconditional grace, and the power it has to melt hardened hearts, even your own. In 1995... A lady named Norma was going to the clinic that she always works at and she began to get bugged by something and she began to notice that the playground, which was always overflowing with kids, was empty. So Norma, bugged by this, after a couple days, she goes to the clinic again and she noticed people are protesting in front of her clinic. And then a seven-year-old named Emily Mackey comes up to her, hugs her and befriends her. And Emily, along with the people who are protesting in front of her clinic, begin to invite her to church. Begin to pray for her. Begin to hug on her and show her love. Every time they see Norma. And Norma, it's interesting because it's like Jonah and Nineveh. Norma performs abortions, and Emily almost died from an abortion. Until one day, Norma realized that this unconditional love is coming from another place. She becomes a Christian, and not only a Christian, she becomes pro-life and against abortion. You may know Norma. She's known by the name that was meant to keep her anonymous, Jane Roe, which is the person in the Roe versus Wade decision which legalized abortion. The interesting thing about Norma is that because of the grace of God, she never had the abortion. She then became a pro-life component. Now, we may look at Norma who was an abortionist. <clears throat> to her own admitted she was a lesbian. And say, wow, God can transform somebody like that. But the point of that illustration is not to look at Norma as some type of Nineveh. The point of looking at the illustration is to say, I am Norma. And I can change somebody like me. Where were you when grace found you? Where were you when God found you in your mess? Where were you when a Jonah showed up and preached to you? Where were you when the chains fell off? Where were you when the scales came off your eyes? Where were you when your heart became flesh and not stone? Where were you when you put away the things that you exalted before God? Where were you when you realized Jesus is greater than Jonah? That same unconditional love that tracked you down in your Nineveh could change your heart today. It could change somebody else's heart tomorrow. Let's pray. Father, melt our hearts with the unconditional love grace that you give to us. We're no longer just merely losers. We are more than conquerors through Christ. Father, we thank you for every provision that you've ever given us. Even when we were lost in our sin, you had that common grace which uh, elevated human culture and a common grace that allowed us to live up to a certain point in time when we got to know you. But God, the ultimate provision is your son who left the heavenly glories and walked into our wicked city. He lost his reputation. People spat upon him. They blindfolded him and punched him. They put a crown of thorns in his head. They whipped him 39 times viciously. They nailed his feet in his hands. They pulled his shoulders out of joints. But more than that, the wrath we deserved Fell upon him. And the perfect life he lived, he gave it to us freely. Father, we want to experience your unconditional love and grace. Allow us to stop tallying up our religious requirements and our our spiritual disciplines as if they please you in some kind of way. And find our identity in the grace and the mercy and the work of Jesus Christ. And allow us to be motivated to work with our Father as a privilege, not as a payment, that there are those who want to know his unconditional love and his grace and mercy waiting to hear the good news roll off our tongues. Use us. It's the mighty name of Jesus we pray. Amen.